Good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. Let's go. Luke 10. Luke chapter 10 is our text this morning. We are back in our series uh, called Illusions. We're looking at the parables of Jesus, which we've been doing uh, for the last few weeks and been very challenged by them. And this morning we come to a very familiar one uh, known as the Good Samaritan. And here in Luke chapter 10, we'll begin reading in verse 25. So if you're able to stand, uh, please do so as we honor the reading of God's Word, recognizing that uh, it comes with authority, the very authority of God. Luke chapter 10, verse 25, it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, oh, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, and he poured oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Father, it's a joy to worship You. The Spirit in this place, God, thank You for being here. Help us now as we look to Your Word. May Your Spirit open our eyes to see clearly our life in light of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to do a terrific show today. I'm going to help people. After all, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. Now, some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm quoting an old Saturday Night Live sketch known as Daily Affirmations with Stuart Smalley. And if you've never seen that sketch from SNL, uh, it's, a, it's a skit about a man um, who struggles with self-esteem. He's a, he's a non-licensed therapist, and he struggles with feeling good about himself. He's always talking about how they're going to cancel my show, and I'm going to end up homeless and penniless and 20 pounds overweight, and you know nobody loves me, and, and just always struggling with feeling like he's good enough. So what he does is he stares into a mirror, and he tells himself over and over again, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people like me. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people like me. Because he, he needed that daily affirmation that he was good. 
Now, most of us don't dress up in goofy sweaters and stare into the mirror telling ourselves we're good. But all of us, in some way, think we're good enough. The reason why I know that is because every time somebody's goodness or morality gets questioned, they're very quick to defend it. For instance, you football fans, when Tony Dungy, who used to coach, criticized the New York Jets coach, Rex Ryan, for his uh, use of foul language, here's what Rex Ryan said. I'm a good person. Just because somebody cusses doesn't make them bad. Or Don Imus, popular radio host, Uh, who faced criticism for inappropriate comments for uh, the women's basketball program at Rutgers, responded this way. He said, I'm a good person who said a bad thing. Or R&B singer R. Kelly, you know, I believe I can fly. Yeah, that guy. Facing child pornography charges said this, I'm a good person. I don't have an S on my chest, but I'm no devil. Like, those are the options, Superman and Satan, you know? I mean, I'm not perfect, but I'm not the devil. I'm not that bad. The default position for everybody, I'm good enough. It's like fast drivers are those that simply drive faster than you do. And rich people are just those people who have more money than you have. Bad people are simply those who are just not quite as good as we are. But what if our sense of goodness, particularly our own, what if our sense of morality was only an illusion? And it is. In fact, that's what Jesus is going to expose for us in the parable ironically called the Good Samaritan. Jesus didn't call it that. And we we all know the story. I mean, goodness, you don't even have to grow up in church or be a Christian to know either the story of the Good Samaritan or what a Good Samaritan is. I mean, we name nonprofits after Good Samaritans, and we call people at Christmas time who help the poor Good Samaritans. But I would submit to you that we're too familiar with it. And because we're too familiar with it, we actually don't understand what Jesus is teaching here. Or let me put it this way. If you think the Good Samaritan is a story teaching you to be a good person and to go do good things, you do not understand what Jesus is exposing in this passage. Let Let me show you what I mean. Luke tells us here that a lawyer, verse 25 comes to Jesus and he tries to put him to the test. You're seeing that pattern, aren't you? And he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So here we have a guy, he's an expert in the law of Moses, okay? It's not, you know, Matlock or law and order, that kind of law. It's, 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 he knows the Old Testament commandments like the back of his hand. And he comes to Jesus with a question, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, in one sense, that's a good question. Uh, In the sense of, how can I be right with God? How can I spend eternity with God? That's a good question. I hope you're asking that question. 
But the way this guy asks it, there's two problems. Number one, he's got the wrong motivation. He's trying to trick Jesus. Luke tells us he's trying to put him to the test. He sees Jesus as this up-and-coming rabbi, so he's going to say, all right, all right, all right, we'll just find out how big old boy are you. Let's find out what you know about the Old Testament law. After all, I'm a scholar of the Old Testament. The second problem with this question is notice how it's phrased, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's a problem. That's a problem. You know why it's a problem? Because listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. By works of the law, no one will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Do you see? The expert of the law missed the entire point of the law. Namely, it's not something for you to do to feel good enough. It's something to expose that you're not. What can I do? You missed the point. And so Jesus is going to turn the situation right back on him. Verse 26. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? In other words, you're the expert. You're the lawyer. What does it say? And then the guy quotes Deuteronomy 6 here in verse 27. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. A plus, you pass the test. That's exactly right. In fact, when Jesus was asked by another lawyer at another time, what's the most important commandment? What did Jesus say? The exact same thing. So the guy knows the right answer, but then notice what Jesus does. I love this, verse 28. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now what you should have there in the, um, the, the reference, the margin there in your Bible, it should reference this verse and say L-O-L-O-L-O-L. Because what Jesus has just done is to say this, you're right, and if you want to inherit eternal life, go ahead. All you have to do by your own admission is have complete devotion to God in everything, and your neighbor as well. Good luck with that. It's what he says. Now, this lawyer at this point should like get on his knees and repent and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I know I can't do this, but that's not what he does. This guy's like my eighth grade or my eight-year-old son. My eight-year-old son tries to wrestle with me and he just won't quit. He won't quit till I send him crying to his mama, which I gladly do. Get out of here, Right? I mean, he doesn't know when to quit. He doesn't know when enough's enough. He just wants to keep going. And that's exactly what this lawyer does. He knows he can't do what, he, what just came out of his mouth. But notice how he pushes further, verse 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, meaning he wants to be good. He wants to prove that he's right. He wants to, to be able to look into the mirror and say, I'm good enough. And he asked the question, who is my neighbor? This guy, it's like, grrr. He can't get the checklist out of his mind. 
Well, who do, who's my neighbor and who's not? Who do I love and who do I not have to love? Uh, who, who can I forgive and don't have to forgive? You see? And he's totally missed the point. So Jesus is going to tell him a story to expose him. But before we look at that story, you've got to know three things if we're going to understand what Jesus is about to tell. Number one, a man who comes to Jesus is a lawyer. Number two, he wants to earn eternal life on his own. And number three, his intent is to trick Jesus. Now you put that away for a moment, we'll come back to it. Jesus tells a story, verse 30, about a man going down from Jerusalem, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him, and they left him for dead. And then we see that a priest comes along, verse 31, and a Levite, verse 32, and both of them, they see the man, but they walk right on by. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and poured on oil and wine and set him on his animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. And then the next day he took out money and he gave it to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. Now we know this story. Let's break it down here, okay? Jesus tells a story about a Jewish man who's half dead on the side of the road. You say, how do you know he's Jewish? I know he's Jewish based on the context of the passage. Jesus is setting up a contrast from the Samaritan. That's important. If this guy's not Jewish, the whole story doesn't make sense. The whole thing Jesus is trying to teach. So, so a Jewish man, besides, he's talking to a Jewish man, a lawyer. You got a Jewish man who's half dead on the side of the road. He, he's traveling between Jerusalem and Jericho. And if you've studied this text, you know, that's about a 17-mile uh, path, a very rocky terrain, a very common place where thieves and robbers would hide and jump out and rob you. It'd be like somebody saying, you know, there's certain places in northern Minneapolis you probably don't want to go at certain parts of the day. It would have been something they would have all related to. So here is this guy half dead on the side of the road, and here comes a priest and a Levite, likely returning from temple worship, and you would think that they would stop, wouldn't you? I mean, if you were stranded at 1 a.m. in a bad neighborhood, who would you rather see walking your direction, a guy that looks like this? Or a guy that looks like this. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't know. Like, that's kind of, that's a really hard question. They're both really suspicious, you know? <laughs> of course you're going to say pastor. Man, I hope Pastor Wes or Pastor Roger or Pastor Brent or Pastor Tit, and maybe not, you know? Hopefully somebody... If I see a pastor coming, I'm thinking, woohoo! But a priest and a Levi walk by and they don't even stop. They just walk right by. Why? That's what you ought to be asking. And a lot of people have offered a lot of different reasons. Well, they're in a hurry, it's a bad part of the neighborhood, and so they're just, you know, they're scared. No, they don't stop because they can't. 
according to religious law, if they have any contact with the dead or even someone who appears to be dead, they become unclean. They have to go back to Jerusalem and go back through the cleansing rituals again. They have to confess to all the priests. It would have been about a seven-day turnaround, and these men are not willing to compromise their time, their reputation, but more importantly, their religious duty. And at the end of the day, it's not really important as to why they don't stop. What's important is what they represent, namely the law. Hang with me. So Jesus drops a bomb. Three words. But a Samaritan. A who? What? Did it... What you talking about, Willis? Are you talking, did you say a Samaritan? Our enemies? Those half-breeds that married foreign women? That reject the Torah? That broke off from Judaism and started their own religion? Did you say Samaritan? You see, most of you, if you've been around church, you know that Jews hated Samaritans. In fact, in the Mishnah, their oral tradition, which I know on the way to church today, you were like, please quote the Mishnah. Like, it's been a few weeks, you know. The Mishnah, Jewish oral tradition says, he that eats the bread of Samaritans is like one who eats the flesh of swine, You have a cappuccino with a Samaritan, it's like eating the flesh of pigs. Unless, of course, you're like me and from Tennessee, and that sounds delicious. (laughs) But I don't think that's how you're supposed to respond. You're not supposed to be like, bacon, you know? No, that's not how they meant it. They hated Samaritans. In fact, you remember in John chapter 4, the woman at the well, how is it that you, to Jesus, a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For the Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. You see, you got to understand something. Good Samaritan is an oxymoron. It's like saying somebody's passive-aggressive or pretty-ugly or, that's not nice, Um, or you had jumbo shrimp, or Microsoft Works. That's funny right there. That's funny. I don't care who you are, that's funny. Lord, I apologize. Call a Samaritan whatever you want. Just don't call him good. The best way I can relate this to you is to say, I want to tell you a story about an American soldier laying on the side of the road, and along comes an Islamic terrorist who is moved with compassion, and he sacrifices all that he has to take care of that soldier. I call the story the good jihadist. You'd say, I don't have a category in my brain for that. Neither did they. And yet, what the text says is that it's the Samaritan 
who sees the man and is, please remember this phrase, moved with compassion. Why is that important? Because this guy is not doing it out of law. He's not doing it out of duty. He's not trying to be good. He's not trying to increase his moral status. He simply has a heart that is motivated to serve. And boy, does he. I mean, he approaches the man, he gets bloody, he tears his clothes, he uses his own wine and oil as medicine, he puts the guy on his animal, he takes him to an inn, he pays for his healing, and promises to do whatever it takes to pay the man's bill in full. And he did all that for an enemy. Now, this is usually where we stop. And the application is what? Go be a good Samaritan, right? Go and do likewise. And that's not the point. That's not the point. Jesus does something here to the lawyer that is absolutely amazing, and the implications are enormous. Verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Are you tracking with me? Jesus didn't answer the question. The question was, who is my neighbor? That's not what Jesus answers. Jesus says, who has been a neighbor to somebody? Do you see the change? What's he doing? Let me illustrate it first. Some of you will remember the now somewhat dated movie, A Time to Kill. Matthew McConaughey, Samuel Jackson, Sandra Bullock. It's a story about a little African-American girl who is raped by two white men. It appears that they're going to not serve time and be on trial, and so the father of that little girl takes matters into his own hands, and he takes a gun, and he shoots the two men. And then the rest of the movie is about his trial as he's on trial for murder. And racial tensions are very high in the movie, and at a very interesting turn, when the lawyer for the father gives his closing arguments, he details the things that happened to that little African-American girl and then he asked the all-white jury to do something really important. Take a look. And they pick her up, throw her in the back of the truck, drive out to Foggy Creek Bridge, pitch her over the edge. She drops some 30 feet down to the creek bottom below. Can you see her? Her raped, beaten, broken body, left to die. Can you see her? I want you to picture a little 
girl. Now imagine she's white. That's a powerful scene. Because what that lawyer is trying to do is to get that jury to view the situation through different eyes. What's happening here? Follow me. Who comes to Jesus? A Jewish man. Who's half dead in the road? A Jewish man. What does the lawyer come to Jesus talking about? The law? What do the people who walk right on by the man in the road represent? The law? What is the lawyer who comes to Jesus trying to do? He's trying to trick him because he sees Jesus as his enemy. And who heals the man in the road? His enemy. In other words, Jesus is saying to the lawyer, do you see this man in the road? Do you see him? He's unable to save himself. He can't do anything about his situation. Do you see the law that he so desperately wants to save him walk right on by? And do you see that it's the man's enemy, his enemy, that's the only one that can save him? Do you see him? Bloody, beaten, broken, unable to save himself? Now imagine he's you. The lawyer is the man in the road. Because what Jesus is trying to teach with this parable to a man who thinks he can be good enough, to a man who thinks that the law will be enough to inherit eternal life, your goodness, your morality is an illusion. You can no more save yourself as the guy in the road can heal himself. That's what Jesus is teaching the man. And it's from that that we see from this story three really important truths. Number one is that this is the central message of the gospel. You hearing me? The question is, what can I do to inherit eternal life? The answer is, you can't. But you can receive it. The offer of the gospel is an offer of free grace. It's costly because it cost God the death of His own Son. But it is free to you. Because Jesus 
did for us what this Samaritan did for the man in the road. Namely, even though we were enemies of God, Jesus came to us and He took our sin and He put it not on an animal. They'd already tried that. He put it on His own shoulders and He carried it to Calvary. And He paid your debt in full. And for those of us who are self-righteous in the room, it's really hard for us to come to grips with the fact that you didn't contribute a penny. And you can't. You are not a Christian until you see yourself as the man in the road. As long as you approach life like the lawyer, what can I do? Give me a checklist so that I can earn this thing. Or you feel like what almost everybody feels like when they're asked, are you going to go to heaven? Well, sure, because I'm pretty good. You will never spend eternity with God until your morality is exposed for the lie that it is. And you see a compassionate God ready to meet you right there on your broken road of life. That's the gospel. And it's the only way to eternal life. Number two is not only is what Jesus is teaching here central to our message, and that's great news for broken people is that the gospel, what Jesus is teaching here, is our motivation for serving. It's interesting, the, the go and do likewise, which is what everybody focuses on, go be a good Samaritan, comes out of the what? Who was a neighbor to somebody? Do you see? Or let me put it this way, you'll never be a good Samaritan until you see yourself as the man in the road. When you approach serving God, when you approach helping others as giving you one more step on the ladder of righteousness, you're a slave to your own goodness. That, that's not the motivation of a Christian. When you, see, when you see that you're the man on the road and you couldn't save yourself and only by the compassion of Jesus... Are you able to be right with God? When you see that, hear me, you don't debate who's your neighbor anymore. You just go and do likewise. Why? Please, please, please listen. Christians are not moral, therapeutic deists. You say, what in the world is that? We do not do good things, moral to feel good about ourselves, therapeutic, because we believe in God, deist. Christians are gospel-centered Christ followers because we know firsthand what it's like to be picked up off the road. How, how can I not see a brother who's broken and relate to him? That's my testimony. As long as you're the, the Levite and the priest, boy, I am a gift to God and the church. You just walk right on by. But when you know your own sin, and when you know the, the, 
the amazing grace of God that has healed you. You you walk the road of life a little differently when you see people who are in need. You see? So one of the ways you know that the Gospel is at work in your life, that you're understanding the grace of God, is that when you see people, you're becoming more and more and more quick to act. To help, to serve, to love. You're growing in your compassion for other people, not because it impresses others. And boy, what would the church do without you? You're growing in that because you're growing in Jesus. And that begins to make you see your spouse, your coworker, your classmate, your neighbor totally differently, doesn't it? And that's because the last thing in the world the South Metro needs is more Good Samaritans. What it needs is a church full of Gospel Samaritans who walk out in this community and they see people who are broken and they say, yep, I relate to that. The names may be changed and the situation may be different, but because we know what it's like to be on the road, we are moved with compassion. Amen? Okay. One last kind of application here. It's not just what Jesus is teaching in this parable of the Good Samaritan. It's, it's the message of the gospel. It's, it's come. Come. Broken, beaten in life, the compassion of God is ready to meet you. You know what? We actually had a lady last night in our Saturday night service who just said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being the lawyer. I'm the man on the road. And she accepted Jesus Christ into her life. Amen. And, and that needs to be what some of you do. Please don't walk out of here thinking that you'll do this on your own. And not only is this central to our motivation, we're moved with compassion because we see ourselves as the man on the road, but I want to say it's actually the gospel that causes us to go the extra mile goes the extra mile. Why, why, why do I say that from the text? It's because of this contrast Jesus sets up between the Samaritan and the Jewish man in the road. Hear me, a good Samaritan rightly defined from this text, namely somebody who knows the grace of God's healing in their life. You ready? Everybody listening? They cross enemy lines. Please hear me. I've seen many evangelicals who can rally a cause for the unborn and the elderly. And we should, yes and amen, those are theological issues. But what about the homosexual community? And you know me well enough by now, I'm not talking about compromising what the Word of God says about that, but I am saying being a gospel witness of love. What, what about the Islamic community? What, what about the people who have hurt you deeply to the point that you've carried that scar for years? What about taking the gospel to the unreached places where it's not safe? 
Here's my point. Moralism may take you across the street. Only the Gospel will take you to the ends of the earth. Why? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel goes way beyond one mile. It goes as far as it needs to go across enemy lines. Because that's precisely what Jesus did for us. So, how in the world will you and I ever, ever be good enough? The answer is not look into a mirror and just tell yourself you're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you. You want to be good enough? Look this morning to a cross and say, even though I'm not good enough, and I'm not smart enough, and even though I am an enemy of God, God has had mercy on me. And that's all the daily affirmation you need to go and do likewise. Amen? Let's pray. Father, by Your Spirit, Put names, faces, situations, people in our minds and hearts this morning. May we be so stirred up this morning in the gospel that it, it makes a difference in, in how we approach people throughout the week. And just, Lord, as we walk the path of life, as we see people that are broken and hurting, give us gospel compassion for them. For others in this room, they have never ever seen themselves as a man on the road. They've never seen themselves as totally unable to save themselves. May they hear the gospel of grace that says, come, I will receive you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.